and slayers this is mixtress ray and you're listening to what's this bitch talking about to which the answer to that question is every episode of buffy the vampire slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date so um tonight we're going to be talking about the yoko factor which is part one of pretty much the two-part series series season ender um the very last episode of the season that we'll get to talk about two weeks from today is my favorite episode of buffy ever and it's completely outside of the arc of the season so um you know it's not really this is part one of the two-parter i mean this one even ended with to be continued So, um, we're going to get into it, but first I decided to wait with you guys and light the candles together. (laughs) Actually, I lit one already and I have my lava lamp going, but I've got four other candles I'm going to light right now. Okay. Ooh, this one, this one I'm going to have to, okay, let's use a match. That one is like one of those, I'm going to have to hold. And since I hold my microphone in one hand. That's not going to work. I need to do this one-handed. Okay. Let's do a little spell together, guys, okay? For the good of you and me and everyone else in perfect love and perfect trust. So mote it be. The witchy thing. It's not a phase. (laughs) Okay, sorry. I'm just quietly lighting candles here. Try not to burn myself with the match. Okay, here we go. So first, I have a little bit of a story. (laughs) I'm going to try not to go too far into it. I have gone through it today, and it's just really just been... I'm going to drink a beer with you guys, too. Ow, that probably peaked. Sorry about that. Sorry about that, guys. Um, So... I am going to, I've been through it today because, okay, here's what happened. What happened was, so let me take you back all the way back to October of 2010. I bought my very first Mac computer, a MacBook Pro. Um, I still have that computer and lately it has it's been having some problems. Like the fan's been going real, real high when it's doing pretty simple tasks. It's been taking longer and longer for my computer to do things. I mean, more, more memory intensive things such as editing videos or uploading videos or uploading podcasts, that kind of stuff takes a lot longer than it should. Um, part of that could be internet related to like I don't know everything about computers. (laughs) I don't know everything. There are so many fucking factors to that shit that like every time something goes wrong, it's like, oh God, now I got to fucking research this. There was one time that like, 
this is years ago, but like, this is just an example of like computer problems. And y'all are not strangers to that, I'm sure. But like, I was like the media con buttons, you know, like the, the buttons at the top, the function buttons where you can like play pause, um, volume up and down, that kind of stuff. I rely pretty heavily on those because I'm constantly readjusting vo volume and pausing and, and, you know, I'm constantly adjusting those types of things. That's just who I am. And suddenly they just stopped working. The controls just stopped working. This was years and years ago. And it took me forever to figure out that the reason was because there was a program that I had on my computer that for some reason, when it was open, which it was open a lot because it was a music program that I was using a lot, when it was open, it would interfere with the media control buttons and I couldn't use them. So I had to just like stop using that program altogether, which sucked because I was enjoying it, but it made my media controls not work. <laughs> and it took me a long time to figure that out. And that's just how computer problems work. You know, just some like stupid thing, some regular functionality in a machine is not working because there are a million processes going on in a computer at the same time. And anything could be interfering with anything else. And like the brain power that it takes to try to solve a problem. So here's what happened. What had happened was, so I, you know, my computer is, it's 10 years old. And so I figure it's time lately, a couple of times lately, it's just sort of randomly restarted, like for no reason. Um, and sometimes it, I feel like it's not going to turn back on. <laughs> that kind of thing. So I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to buy a new computer. Um, and I decided to, so I did that. I bought a new computer and it cost, uh, I don't even want to talk about it, but I got a Mac mini. So you can look up those current prices for yourself if you'd like, but it's like, um, it's like a computer. Basically it's a bring your own monitor, mouse, and keyboard situation. So the computer itself is just the computing device. So it cost about as much as my MacBook Pro, which is a laptop that already had the monitor, trackpad, and keyboard included in the all-in-one device. It cost about as much as that did 10 years ago because the prices have just gotten insane. Like the Mac mini used to cost $500. Like when I first thought to myself, okay, what's my next computer going to be? When I first thought that to myself, like five years ago, um, probably the Mac mini cause it's $500 and you know, whatever. And I've been using my laptop as a desktop computer. Like I have a keyboard, a monitor and a mouse hooked up to it. I've been using it as a desktop computer for years. So I just knew that that was going to be my next one. It ended up costing way more than I thought it would. And it came yesterday and I set it up. I said, I didn't want to talk about this that long. And I've already been talking for like five minutes. Oh God. Okay. I'm having a struggle. Some of it might be hormonal. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I swear I've only taken three sips of beer and you heard me do it. Um, so I set it up last night 
whatever. I, I'm not going to go through the laundry list of complaints that I have with this computer. If you do want to hear all the tea on my computer complaints, I'm sure I'll be talking about it on my radio show. So um, the details are always in the show notes below. But basically, I have an internet radio show that's every Friday, 7 to 10 Central Daylight Time. And if you can't make that time, if you become one of my patrons at patreon.com slash mixtressray, you can, um, even at any level of giving, even if it's a dollar a month, you can hear podcast versions of my radio show every week. So if you, for some weird reason, enjoy whenever I go on personal rants before I start talking about the Buffy episodes, that is entirely what my radio show is. <laughs> and it ends up being like a weekly podcast when I edit it all together. Um, it ends up being like, I don't know, an hour and a half long. Anyway, I know y'all are used to me talking for an hour and a half at a time. Um, so I get it. I set it up. You know, it takes forever, but whatever. That's how it goes when you set up a new computer. I would assume, like, this is the first, literally the first time I've set up a new computer since 2010. But um, I realize that there are, let me see. Let, you know what? I'm not going to tell you each individual thing, hopefully, but let me count. I made a pro and con list whenever I realized all the things that were no longer working. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And I, I just kind of stopped making the list at one point because I had just already decided this is not going to work for me. So I made a list of like 10 cons and some of them are, a lot of them are just programs that I use on a regular basis, such as my broadcast program that I use to broadcast my radio show every week. Um, that is not compatible with my new computer, which is actually something that I knew was going to be the case. But basically, since the software that is on my new computer is newer than the latest version of software that I could update my 10-year-old computer to, there's a whole bunch of programs that I use that I rely on for the stuff that I do um, that is incompatible with my new computer, so I can't use it anymore. So it's like, oh shit, how am I going to... Okay, I've got to find a new program that'll do this thing. And, oh, but I already knew how to use the old program. Oh, God. And then you have to research. And there's like 50 different programs that do the same thing. Which one's the best? I don't know. And it's just, I stayed up till like 2.30 in the morning last night. Just like trying to solve all the issues that I had. One of them was my old familiar can't use the media controls on my keyboard issue. And it turns out the software that controls my keyboard is incompatible with my new computer. <laughs> and then I realized that I thought that my old computer, I'd stopped hooking it up to the monitor a little while ago like a month or two ago, because I thought that it couldn't power my monitor anymore. And I just like put the monitor in the basement. So I brought it back up to hook it up to my new computer, but it's having the same issues. So it actually just, I need a new monitor. So at the end of this whole thing is basically like, okay, well, in order to use functional, in order to change the volume on my computer and use functionality that I use all the time, like I'm not just going to accept the fact that I can't use the media the function keys on my keyboard. That's, that's too big of a thing to just accept for a computer that cost me as much as it did. So I had, 
and then I had another issue. Okay, apparently I am going to list issues. I'm sorry. Um, you guys can just fast forward if you don't want to hear this shit, but I'm in rant mode and I've been in rant mode all day about this computer. So one of the things that I do with my radio show, I don't do this every week, but often I will make an actual mixtape on a cassette with my radio show and um, I'll switch out cassettes and I'll put together a show and, you know, it's really fun because like I get to sit in a little chair right by my stereo and change cassettes all night. And the way that I can do that is because I can change the, the headphone jack on my computer. I can go into the settings um, for my old computer. I can go into the settings and I can change it from sound output because normally a headphone jack has sound output because you're plugging headphones into it and sound is coming out of the computer into your ears, right? So it's an output. Well, you can change it in the settings to make it an input. And that was the way that I could hook my stereo directly up to my computer and people listening to my radio show could hear what I'm playing on my stereo. But my new computer does not have this functionality. I cannot change the input. I cannot change the output to an input. Like it does have the functionality to change to an input, but it only like it automatically senses it. You can't manually change it like I could with my old computer. And it's just infuriating. Just like basically this handful of items, you know, five to 10 items that I discovered within, you know, a few hours of playing with a computer of things that I do all the time are things that I can no longer do. And there's no reason for that. No reason at all, except that, you know, the man wants to control the way that I compute. And it really pisses me off. So, long story, still long. <laughs> I um, packed it all back up, started the return process, because basically, like, at this point, in order to do all the things that I want to do with my computer, I'd have to buy several more things. Because basically there's some kind of audio interface thing that you can buy that would fix my issue with not being able to hook my stereo up to my new computer. Um, I could buy a new keyboard that is compatible with the new computer so I could fix that other issue. I could buy a new monitor because apparently I just need a new monitor anyway because it's just messing up. Which I didn't think I would need one, but it's just like... I already spent the money, I already spent more money than I wanted to spend on a computer. And now I'd have to throw a few more hundred dollars on top of it just to gain the functionality that I had with my 10 year old computer. So it's just disappointing because it's like, I thought I was creating a solution for myself because I have an old computer and it's time to upgrade. I thought I was creating a solution for myself, but now I found out that some of the things that I'm used to doing, I may not be able to do anymore if I get a new computer. And uh, it's just dumb. It's just dumb. I don't want to get all philosophical about it right now. I can save that for the radio show. <laughs> Sorry. I really seriously wanted to talk about that for like five minutes, but it's been 15. Okay. Let's talk about Buffy. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Buffy. Yes. Take a deep breath. And open up your episode guides to page. <gasps> Where's my bookmark? Is it gone? No. Okay, good. Open up your Bite Me Buffy episode guides to page 241. 
where you will see listed there the Yoko factor. So this episode, um, let's see what she writes for the, um, the synopsis. Spike tries to split the gang up after Adam promises he'll remove his chip if he does so. And Adam puts the final phase of his plan in place. Meanwhile, Angel follows Buffy to Sunnydale to resolve some loose ends. So you may not remember because it's been a few weeks, but when we were talking about the two-part faith extravaganza, um, Buffy was wearing that awful white turtleneck and that French jacket. Was she? No, she wasn't wearing a white turtleneck. She was wearing a white turtleneck throughout this entire episode. She was wearing like a black tank top and that awful French jacket. Normally I like French, but that jacket is not for her. Anyway, so she gets back from being a giant ass face on Angel because they apparently wanted to write her as the bitch ex-girlfriend. Um, she gets back from that. So that's the beginning of the episode. Is that the beginning of the episode? I think I'm getting ahead of myself. No. Um, so... I didn't have a lot of notes for this episode. I think I'm distracted today. <laughs> um, so my first note is new dude talking shit on Riley and Buffy to his superior. Um, and he says something like, Riley's not the soldier that you all thought he was. Boy thinks too much. And I think that the superior guy kind of knew, but he's not telling the new guy the new head of the initiative project guy um he's not telling him the details but he seems to, like everybody's always been riley is the the soldier boy he's he's our star pupil blah 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 and so it's possible that several of them were in on the fact that i mean he'd have to be professor walsh had plans for Adam and Riley. So this behavior modification chip that is activated in Riley at the very end of the episode by Adam, I mean, there's just like a little bit of a nod to like maybe this superior guy that's having the video chat with the new not Walsh guy, <laughs> whatever that guy's name is, the guy that has the mom tattoo, but he's an asshole. Um, Happy Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. I'm getting little details of the plot through this rewatch that I've never understood before. So we'll get there. Um, there was something that I realized earlier. I don't remember what it was. So at some point during the conversation, um, the superior guy says, you know, who is this Buffy Summers? And he says, she's just a girl, which is kind of dumb. Because, I mean, obviously that's, you know, the whole premise of Buffy is people underestimating her and thinking she's just a girl, but actually she's not like other girls. Blah, that trope. But, um, it seems like a little bit, like they'd be taking her a little bit more seriously because anybody that's been in the initiative for any length of time, like surely this guy just got, got, well, no, he didn't get promoted because he's new, right? Whatever. Surely somebody would have briefed him on the fact that not only is she dating Riley, but she's a slayer. They all knew that. They were all in on that, weren't they? Was it just Professor Walsh and Riley that knew that she was a slayer and everybody else was kept in the dark about that? I mean, that would have made sense, but anyway, 
that's getting too bogged down in the details. So let's move on. That's what I do. I get bogged down in the details. I obsess over the fact that I can't use the media controls on my computer. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see. Spike and Adam are talking in the cave and he calls um, Buffy Little Miss Tiny. And he's basically just making the case to Adam, like, don't underestimate her. Like, she looks like she's not a threat, but she is a threat. Um, and then Adam does this big dramatic speech to Spike about, like, I'm going to restore you to the man that you were before. You're trapped in a cage right now. And he just says all this flowery shit and goes off on this long speech. And Spike's like, wow, okay. That was a good speech. I see why people follow you. You're like Tony Robbins, which is funny. Um, I, I did write, why is Spike so good at verbal manipulation? Like, I thought that this was, this whole episode was just, I thought it was a little over the top how good he was at all of this. But then I have to give credit where credit is due because I did not have this thought myself. But I watched um, TPN's episode guide on YouTube um, and he talked about like how the whole season has been setting Spike up for this, you know, like Spike's entire character has been setting us up for this. And he like gave a bunch of little moments, little examples of Spike being manipulative. And you see him kind of discover even earlier in the season after he'd gotten the chip out, but he still hadn't quite made peace with, I mean, not that he ever makes peace with having a chip, but like he he was still in the beginning of like, what the fuck am I now? Identity crisis mode. And you see him like the first time he starts to like hurl insults instead of not that he ever hasn't. I mean, he's always been like that. He's always been very observant of, and that I did notice, like I have noticed before that Spike, like he picks up on social cues real fast. He picks up on body language from people. He, you know, he gets it immediately. You know, he, he observes people. So he spent the entire season observing everyone. So like the things that he, this whole episode is about him, you know, um, getting into everybody's heads and pitting them against each other. And he's able to do that because he's been paying attention to what they're going through. So it actually does make perfect sense that he is able to do that. I just like, for some reason, when I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, he's been evil and he's been able to kill people up until now. So he didn't have to be manipulative. And he, um, before when he was mortal, he seemed to be pretty like bumbling, super sensitive Knight of Cups kind of guy. So that doesn't make sense that he would be manipulative now. But looking back on it, like, yeah, he's, he's good. He's observant and he is able to just sort of like talk people into things. He's, he's able to make people feel what he wants them to feel. He's good at that. And this scenario of him getting a chip put in his head is just honing those skills that he already has in him. So this is actually a really good characterization. And I'm glad that that was pointed out um, in that episode guide on YouTube. Just check that guy out if you 
Seriously, I think I mentioned this before, but I'm thinking about doing a rewatch of Buffy by just watching his episode guide because <laughs> he, you know, uses scenes from Buffy to illustrate his points as he's talking about each episode. And he's ta he talks about each episode for around like 10, 15, 20 minutes if it's like he's way more succinct than I am. <laughs> I'm always like promoting other Buffy episode guides. <laughs> Please don't leave me. Please don't leave me, even though I, I always talk about people that are better than me at this job. Okay. My next note is, Buffy's back from being mean to Angel. Okay, so we're up to speed with, you see her come back and she's in that, like, super wavy hair, French jacket situation, and she looks like she feels bad. So, that's good. She should feel bad. So, this begins a conversation that, like, um... I really felt for Riley in this episode because so Buffy gets back from visit. Okay. Bad timing, but like, you know, she heard that Faith had blown into town where Angel is and she felt like she needed to go be there with him. I understand that. Like that makes sense. That is something that Buffy would do. So I get why she went now, even though it's a terrible time, but just thinking of it from Riley's point of view, like he just had to leave the initiative at the end of the last episode and he's staying in the burned up school. He's in an awful place right now, all by himself and his whole world has crashed around him. He's in identity crisis mode, which is like the theme of the season. And she leaves to go visit her ex-boyfriend after telling him a whole bunch of shit about, like, their relationship, but she didn't actually tell him everything, as we find out later in the when Xander talks to him about it. And w the moment she gets back from visiting her ex-boyfriend, you know, she should have at least gone by, no matter how emotionally wrapped up in her own bullshit she is, which we know she is because she's Buffy, she could have gone by and said, hey, I'm sorry, I really, I can't talk right now, but I wanted you to know I'm back and I'm okay and I, I just need to go home, go to bed, be with my thoughts for a little bit. He would have completely respected that and I think she owes him that. Like, I just think it's so fucking self-righteous that she comes home from visiting her ex-boyfriend when her new boyfriend is in a really vulnerable, perilous identity crisis of his life, and she's not thinking about him at all. She's just not. It's it, it's played like she didn't even it didn't even occur to her to go say hi real quick and be like I'm back because she can't call him. He doesn't have a cell phone. He's being incognito right now. Staying in a fucking burned out. Can you imagine how awful it would be? That place is probably wet and burnt and you know that smell of wet burned maybe you don't, but like <laughs> I know it. I know it. I know it. I just I feel for him. And later, okay, so we're going to get there, but I'm going to go ahead and go ahead of myself because why not? Later he comes by, you know, the next day. So she comes home. You you assume it's late at night because she goes to bed. And maybe, okay, okay, I'm talking myself out of it right here. Okay, maybe she got home at like three in the morning and she thought, 
okay, you know, I really should go say hi to Riley, but I just can't right now. It's fucking three o'clock in the morning. I'm going to go home and go to bed. And maybe he went to visit her at like noon and she still hadn't like pulled herself out of her depression spiral long enough to leave the house to go say hi to him. I'll give her that. I'll give her that. You know, I, I get that much self-involvement that like, you're not going to go break into his school, the burned out school at three o'clock in the morning to say hi to him because he probably is already asleep and he's going to want to know how, how it happened. He's going to ask questions and I get that. I get that. But, but she waits until he comes to find her the next day. And like, he just couldn't wait anymore because he was going a little crazy. So he came to check on her and she's like, basically, she's just like, yeah, it's, it's fine. Like, whatever. I just, I can't talk right now. And he is super sweet about it. I think like no boyfriend of mine has ever been that understanding. Like if I left town to go visit an ex, I mean, obviously this is a completely different scenario and this is a fantasy world that we're talking about here, but if I had gone out of town to visit an ex and then I just don't even bother to tell them that I'm back and then he comes to ask, how am I doing? Am I okay? And I'm just dismissive, like go away, which is fine. She can, she needs, she can process if she needs to process. It's fine. But it's just the way that she handled this. I don't know. It, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And I just, it just did. And he starts like making jokes about his pants because he's wearing those hammer pants that Xander gave him. And he's being super cool about it. He's like, he feels weird and she's not answering his questions. And, you know, he feels a little strange, but he's not like getting all possessive. He's just trying to process. He's trying to keep himself in check a little bit. I mean, later he kind of acts like a total ass. We'll talk about that when Angel comes to town. But at this moment, he is being gracious and he's like, I just wanted to make sure you were okay. Um, didn't know you were back in town. You didn't come see me. <laughs> like, come on. He doesn't even like go into that. He doesn't even say, why didn't you fucking come see me, bitch? I might've done that in that scenario, but maybe I'm just not understanding. I don't know. Buffy would be, let's all just acknowledge, let's all just acknowledge the fact that Buffy would be an awful person to be in a relationship with, you know, like a real actual functional relationship with an adult human being such as, I mean, Riley is the only mature adult and yeah, he has his moments of testosterone poisoning, <laughs> um, such as we will see later in this episode, but he's overall a person that's evolving, you see him evolve. Like he's kind of black and white Iowa guy in the beginning, but you see him evolving. You see him want to evolve. You know, he is a genuinely good person and he's, and he allows himself to evolve and change. He opens his mind enough to make changes in his character for the good. He is a good human being. And I know I'm just like constantly an advocate for Riley, but like, I'm going to be that way about Dawn too, just so you guys know, like the two most hated characters in all of Buffy, Riley and Dawn. Believe me, I was there too. When I first saw this series in its entirety, fucking hated Riley, fucking hated Dawn. But now I have a completely different outlook on the two of them. 20 years later, I have a completely different outlook. Like Riley, not a bad boyfriend. 
the poor thing. The poor thing is so boring, but not a bad boyfriend. He's a mature human being that tries to take things as they come. And this is not a spoiler-free podcast, in case you guys forgot. Okay, there's your warning. And in next season, whenever her mom has cancer and then dies, he is so patient with her. Like, yes, he eventually goes down a dark path and he essentially cheats on her, but he is so available. He is Mr. Emotionally Available and he always has been. He's patient and he is Mr. Emotionally Available. And Buffy completely takes him for granted. I used to hate Xander. You remember that that moment in season five? <laughs> yeah, I'm jumping real far ahead. I'm jumping like a year ahead right now, guys. Remember that moment at the end of season five when he's about to leave her because it's, it's like, I just can't take this anymore. I can't. My, I've made my entire world Buffy and she doesn't want me around. And that's so legit. That's so legit, Riley. I completely understand now. But you know that conversation that Xander has with Buffy where he just kind of pulls her aside and he's like, look, you need to go after him. You have been incredibly selfish. I mean, that's not exactly what he says, but it's one of those, like, we get a handful of those moments where, like, Xander is emotionally available and intelligent and, like gives Buffy a good talking to. Like, he's always willing to do that. I mean, that's something that I haven't really appreciated until this exact moment, but that's something that Xander's character is willing to do. Like, he's always willing to push back with Buffy, and sometimes he's being, you know, they're both just like butting heads and being too aggro, and they're having their own testosterone poisoning fit with each other. A lot of the times it's that. But, yeah, I mean, those are some moments, like, occasionally we can appreciate Xander, right? <laughs> um, not this episode, necessarily. Um, okay, <laughs> what are we fucking talking about anymore? But anyway, whenever he does that whole, like, you should go after him, he has been there for you and you have not been available, but you need to go after him. Like, yes, this is, like, big emotional gesture time, Buffy. Go now run. He's completely right. And I used to be mad at him in that moment. Like, why are you fucking? No, we're ready. Like, emotionally, we will all be ready for Riley to go at that point. But at the same time, Xander's right. Like, this is a guy that you could spend your life with because he's supportive. He's emotionally intelligent. He tries to be respectful. Like, he has his own, like, masculinity bullshit that you know, he's dealing with though, like even though it's there, like every dude has it, he's dealing with it. He's confronting it. Like I remember Riley as being this like bigoted, bullheaded dude that couldn't accept the fact that his girlfriend was stronger than him, but he actually can. Like re rewatching this is showing me that he is not as he doesn't have that black and white thinking, which he definitely displayed in the last episode with Oz, but that black and white thinking is not as big of a presence in his personality as I remember him being in the past. So, and being older, you know, like I have gone through my relationships with people like Spike, you know, 
I have done that crap. And I didn't marry a Spike. I married a Riley. And like, I mean, he's nothing like Riley, but in the sense that he is, you know, patient and will talk through things with me and wants to respect me and wants to evolve out of the toxic masculinity that he was raised with, just like every other man on the planet. You know, the Riley archetype is the one that you want to go for, you know? <laughs> anyway, I take another sip of my beer here. How are you guys? I hope you're all right. <laughs> Where are we? Holy shit. That entire rant was just after I said, Buffy is back from being mean to Angel. <laughs> shit. Okay. This is going to be a long one. Okay. Um, my next note is Xander outs the trigger of Angel's curse. So at the very end of the last episode, Buffy was kind of like, look, Riley, I need to talk to you about some shit. I know that you're going through a big moment right now, but it's time for me to unload all my Angel drama on you right now. But apparently she didn't tell him everything. Um, which, I mean, I understand that it would be hard to tell him everything about that situation, but how? I wish I could have seen that conversation. What the fuck did she say to him if she didn't mention that when he went evil, it was because his curse includes a perfect moment of happiness or whatever, but we didn't know that at the time. Like, surely Riley doesn't think that Buffy and Angel never had sex. I mean, Riley doesn't think, I mean, Riley knows that Buffy didn't lose her virginity to him. She knows that. He knows that. Because, um, you know, he was present and he punched Parker when Parker was bragging about, you know, how much stamina Buffy had whenever they had sex. You know, so he knows. He knows. He knows. But I don't, it, he kind of reacts whenever their Xander comes to bring him these crazy pants, which are absolutely 100% the object of the episode. Those pants. I know I'm supposed to hate them, but Riley has never looked better to me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> they match? Like Xander brought him an outfit. He picked a t-shirt that had the color that was in one of the colors that was in those crazy hammer pants. I think Riley looks great. You know, I mean, his hair is still awful, awful. Mark Lucas, why did you let them do that to you? Why did you let them make your hair look like that? You could have looked hot. There's no reason why you can't look hot, Mark Lucas. Those pants though, they were working for him. <laughs> anyway. I got distracted. I was thinking about the pants. I don't know what we're talking about. Um, yeah, it's just like his reaction. Oh, sex. Sex with Buffy. Like, he shook. And I get it. I get why he shook. I do. But I don't know. I, I, I don't actually know what I'm thinking. It's just like jumping into the details and I'm calling bullshit on a bunch of them and I don't even know why. So that's where I'm at. Um, but Xander is, I feel like he's being a little shady in this moment because at this point, Xander has made enough of an evolution that we are supposed to see him as kind of an emotionally evolved person. He has sort of started becoming 
the guy that talks some sense into people sometimes. And he kind of sees things, you know, he's kind of observing, he's kind of, you know, in the next episode, in fact, he's going to represent the heart of the group, isn't he? He's the heart, Buffy's the hand, um, Giles is the brain, and Willow is what? I don't know. There's going to be little tarot cards, and I'm really excited about it, because I have not watched this episode in a really long time. <laughs> not since I got completely nerded out on tarot. Which, by the way, if you're interested, uh, my Etsy shop is called Mixtress Tarot, and I am still doing 50% off all readings until Wednesday. So if you hear this before Wednesday, May 13th, 2020, I may even keep the 50% off up beyond that. So check, check. Um, I might do that actually, because my work schedule is not even going to be that intense. I didn't even tell you guys library life rants last week. I was like, I don't know if by next week I will have been to the library. Will I have worked yet? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. My first day back is going to be this coming Wednesday. So I will get to talk to you about what it's like to be a curbside librarian. I'm kind of excited because I'm going to get to like deliver books to people's cars and they're going to be happy and it's, I'm nervous, but I'm excited. So, um, I'm sure I'll be bringing you stories about that next week. Okay. Fucking shit. I'm having a hard time staying focused here. <laughs> I feel like I'm slowly unraveling you guys, but it's probably just hormones and I really am starting to feel some cabin fever, you guys. So just so you, just so you guys can feel seen if you're in that same space, I am, at first I was really, really okay. I was super okay. It was like a vacation that I've needed for years. And the last couple of weeks, I've just sort of been like going crazy. So it's probably a good thing that I'm going to be going back to work next week. Um, even though I'm incredibly nervous about it. And I think it might be too soon. And, you know, there's a lot of anxiety surrounding it. It's, I still think it's probably ultimately for my psychological well-being a good thing because I'm starting to just like really get to the point where I'm like, every little thing at home is bugging me, you know? I'm like, I'm so sick of being here. Okay, so if you guys are feeling the same, I'm right there with you and I am a pretty extreme introvert. So if I'm getting to that point, I can only imagine that like some of y'all that are more extroverted are probably really going through it right now. So if you are, take a moment to let yourself understand and feel seen because there are people out there that get it. <laughs> Those of us that are really, really introverted get it. Like I'm crawling out of my skin right now. <laughs> and I'm a person that is incredibly privileged. I have a big house. It's kind of bigger than it needs to be for just like, I just live with my Michael and um, our animals and we have four bedrooms. Like there are so many people that do not have that advantage in their lives. And I live in the Midwest where like there haven't been in a lot of cases so like we can 
without worrying too much about it, we can just take our dogs for a walk. We can go to parks. We can just go out and it's been a beautiful spring. And like this really couldn't be an easier scenario to deal with this incredibly stressful pandemic. And I'm still crawling out of my skin. So if you are having to deal with living in a small apartment in Brooklyn, oh my God, honey, I feel for you so much. Do whatever you need to do. As long as you're not harming yourself or anyone else, do whatever you need to do to be okay right now. Like, and if you need help, like, seriously, I'm not even kidding you. Fuck the 50% off on my tarot readings. <laughs> if what I can provide for you is a little bit of like feeling seen tarot guidance, tell me your story, email me. And if you are, you know, an extrovert that's in the middle of Brooklyn in a tiny apartment and you're really fucking crawling out of your skin right now, email me your story radio at gmail and I will give you a fucking tarot reading for free bitch like we need whatever whatever weird support we can get right now even that even if that's in the form of tarot cards I'll bring you some support in a ridiculous delusional optimism tarot card way if that's what you need right now girl talk to me okay all right <laughs> motivational speaking portion done. I'm just like Tony Robbins, right? Okay. What the fuck are we talking about? Okay. Xander. Okay. Xander. <laughs> so Xander comes to bring clothes to Riley. And I like, like in general, I like seeing moments like this when we see two characters that don't, that we don't normally see talk. I like seeing this moment of the two of them kind of, kind of having a real man-to-man -man talk. You know, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with a man-to-man -man talk every once in a while. <laughs> and I like it, but it's almost like, um, this conversation doesn't pass the reverse Bechdel test. If there is such a thing, because they just talk about Buffy. They kind of talk about Angel too. So I guess technically this, this you know, anyway, whatever. So, he didn't pick up on the fact that Riley obviously didn't have all of the information and Xander should have picked up on it before he started blabbing. He should have. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that Riley knows this information. So maybe, maybe, maybe Xander was kind of like, maybe he did pick up on it, which was not, it was not evident in the performance of Nicholas Brendan. He's not the best actor. But I know he's got a lot of struggles in his life, so I don't want to be an ass. Like, let me tell you, I've had an evolution on a lot of characters of Buffy. Do you guys have that same experience? Like, like I said, I used to hate Riley, but now I'm just like really sticking up for him. I used to hate Dawn. And now I, this particular rewatch, I'm really anticipating that I'm going to, going to love Dawn in a way that I never have before. <laughs> but, um, with... Xander, I used to have a huge crush on Xander. Like, I thought he was the ideal perfect boyfriend. Like, I think as far as boyfriend material, I thought that he was more of a contender than Oz. Like, how could I ever think that? But I did. 
And now I'm just like, so the pendulum has swung back so far that like, I don't even want to like, like Xander at all, which is extreme. But anyway, anyway, what are we talking about? Uh, maybe he just like realized it for a second. And he was like, oh, you don't know everything, but you should know everything. I know that bitch Buffy is not telling you everything that she needs to tell you. So you know what? I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to lay it out there because that did need to be brought to light. So I guess we can forgive him, but he probably should have picked up on the fact that Riley didn't know everything and gone to Buffy first. I mean, really, he should have. He should have like been like, look, it really seems like you didn't tell Riley everything. Maybe you should tell him everything, you know? How about that? How about that? <laughs> but he didn't do that. And he just like started, yep, moment of happiness. That's his trigger, blah, blah, blah. And he just like blabs all of it. And Riley is shook. He is shook. And it makes sense. It does. Like, given his circumstances, it makes sense. Like, if he was that broken up about it when everything else in his life was stable and fine, like, that'd be a little worrisome. But he's in the fucking burned out school right now. Hiding from people that he you know, 48 hours ago thought of as his family. You know what I'm saying? Like the poor guy, his entire world is shattered and he has to build it up from scratch. And maybe his girlfriend isn't being entirely honest with him about her past. Like not that she necessarily has to disclose everything, but I mean, it makes sense that she would. I think it's a good choice to talk about like, Hey, I know I'm a vampire slayer, but I used to be in a relationship with a vampire because see, here's the thing. Like there's a lot of nuance and you can't, if you're really letting someone into your life, you can't keep all of that shit a secret because it's going to come out at some point, you know? I'm so worked up today, guys. Okay. Um, let's try to move forward. I'm still on like the fifth sentence of my notes. Wow. Okay. Giles singing again. He makes free bird sound good. That's my next note. Um, so it's easy to like take, it's easy for me to just get swept up in like, wow, Anthony Stewart Head's voice is so pretty. I'm so glad they're letting us hear him sing. But bringing it back to what this moment actually signifies, this moment signifies Giles is going through his own identity crisis. You know, he's reconnecting to, he doesn't, he's listless. You know, he doesn't, he's no longer a librarian. He's no longer a watcher. Like, but he's still here. Like, he's not home. Like, and later he will go home because he thinks that he's no longer needed here with Buffy. But he hasn't made that decision yet. That's not really in the cards yet, but he's, on the verge of making that discovery and seeing him like sing and go to this emotional place with his guitar is kind of a precursor to finding out that he actually is thinking about going back to England. He might even already be kind of thinking about it, you know, because why is he here? You know, he doesn't know. And we'll see, this is such a cool character development thing between Giles and Buffy. We will see many times over. He feels like maybe he shouldn't be here. Like he loves Buffy and you know, he's been a mentor to her, but she doesn't, 
you don't need your mentors forever. And his whole life is back in England. So what is he doing? You know, it's not some, he's gone outside the confines of like divine duty, master, master, watcher, divine duty, blah, blah, blah. He's gone beyond that. And when you break out of the box, you have to make your own, you have to forge your own path. And it's really cool to do that. It's really empowering to do that. But it also can feel listless because if you're creating your own path, it means that you have unlimited options before you. It's easier to fit in someone else's box, honestly. And he's going through some shit. He is. <laughs> and like, I, you know, I just love watching him sing though. <laughs> Even when it's free bird. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Huge transgression. First of all, I can, I immediately clocked. Did you guys immediately clock the minty mug in the dish drying rack? So Spike has like had this conversation with Adam and he's like, I'm going to break them apart. I'm going to do absolutely nothing. I'm going to let them do it for me. And so the first person he goes to see is Giles and he pours blood into Giles's minty mug. I'm super worried, guys, because I genuinely don't remember how long the minty mug stays around. It makes an appearance in almost every episode at this point, because we have a lot of shots of Giles in his apartment. And the minty mug first showed up in the library in the high school, which means that Giles took the mug out of the library home before they blew up the school. Unless it survived. I do actually have a mug that survived a tornado in 2011. And every time I use it, I'm like, I remember I used this mug the day the tornado took my house away. <laughs> but anyway, so he put blood in the mug. And that worries me because I'm afraid that the mug's going to disappear now. Because Giles didn't even make a face. But what if, like... <laughs> headcanon what if Giles was like oh, shit like I can't drink out of that mug ever again because it smells like blood and it's always going to smell like blood so what if we never see the mug again and I'm genuinely worried like I love Spike as much as the next guy but you if you're going to put blood in a mug at Giles's house it has to be the kiss the librarian mug I mean am I wrong I don't think I'm wrong okay um I kind of didn't like, normally I'm super on board with any choices that Anthony Stewart Head makes as far as props. However, I did not like that, like, Spike, and I guess this is just a testament to, so I'm talking myself out of it before I even say it out loud, but I think this is just a testament to the fact that, like, everybody's super fragile right now. And Spike only has to poke them a little bit before they go off the deep end. Like, they're all, like, having a hard time reconciling with the events of the last year. Which makes sense, because this season... I mean, in the past, I always argued about season four being a bad season. But this season has been uneven as fuck. It really has. But I kind of didn't like the fact that Giles immediately reached for the booze. It was like, Spike barely poked at him in this conversation. And Giles is just, like, reaching for the bottle. But, you know, maybe he always has a nightcap, you know. And this time he just kept going until he was super wasted, as we'll see later. Um, 
there's a new kitten at Tara's house, so they just talked about it in the last episode. Like, maybe we should get a cat. And Willow is just, like, so enamored by this tiny little kitten, and she's wearing this cute, like, crochet, quilty square top situation that's just, like, so Willow, you can't even stand it. Um, it's pretty cute. Um, but she's being super cute and kind of foreshadowy because when she like says to the cat, um, you've had too much catnip, you have a catnip problem. I just like immediately think of the fact that Willow's going to go on the deep end with magic in another couple of years. But anyway, um, new kitten at Terrace. That's really the only note I have there. Um, next note, Riley has to go to Buffy. What an asshole. Riley is so sweet making jokes while Buffy is brushing him off. So I kind of already talked, I already talked about that. Um, next note, Spike boot camp shit to Xander. Okay. So like he just basically, he just goes to every individual person and he just drops little nuggets of shit and he does it so masterfully. Like he's really good at this shit, really good at it. Um, oh God, my next note is terrible orange bedazzled jacket. Buffy, Buffy, what are you? I mean, she definitely is having an, an identity crisis because I used to regularly, seasons one through three, give Buffy outfit of the episode because she had the cutest shit, cutest shit. But now, oh my God, that fucking ribbed white turtleneck with the orange, like, I guess it's studded, not bedazzled, but it has some sort of eye on the back of it or sun. It's a sun, not an eye, like a sun on the back of it. And just like so many, so many, I'm going to say bedazzled because they're not like faceted studs. They're not like pyramid studs. They're not like hardcore studs. They're just like silver dome type. God, it's bad when she goes to like, she's wearing that fucking ribbed turtleneck most of the episode. Buffy, I love the curly hair, but do not pair it with a white ribbed turtleneck. I mean, do you understand <laughs> what I'm saying? Probably not. Ooh, one beer and I'm crazy. Okay. So terrible orange bedazzled jacket. I didn't sleep well last night either. Guys, I went to bed at two 30 in the morning and then I woke up at like eight 30 I was dreaming, oh my God, something about Tom Cruise. I remember telling Michael as soon as I woke up and it was so fucking absurd, but I can't remember it now. Of course I can't remember it now. Anyway, it's because I'm reading Vampire Lestat before bed and I can't read that book without thinking of stupid Tom Cruise. Okay, let's see. How random can we get tonight? Okay, Forrest versus Buffy. So she's in the white turtleneck slash bedazzled orange sun jacket. And she goes to the cave to investigate to see if Adam is there. And she's using that same, like, disruptor gun that Maggie tried to kill her with and they fixed. She's using that same gun. Like, every time you go into a cave, you need this gun. <laughs> Buffy, this one. <laughs> and Forrest has the exact same gun and he shows up there. And then they have, like, a big cat fight. And then Adam is there and he kills forest. Um, and Buffy like runs away and she falls down a hill and she hits her head on a rock. It was kind of brutal. Like we've seen Buffy fight tons of times, but like seeing her tumble down a hill and hit her head on a rock, that was, that was upsetting. 
Um, and she gets knocked out. Bitch gets knocked out. The Slayer gets knocked out. And Adam could have... I mean, this is just another stupid plot hole that I shouldn't be focusing on. But he could have easily run out of the cave, run down the hill, and found her knocked out and killed her in that moment. You know, he does want to defeat her. So why wouldn't he do that? But we just see her, like, passing out. And then in the next scene, she comes home and she's got a cut. She's always got that that same cut on her forehead, you know? This is the Buffy forehead cut. It's iconic. Um, Spike sees Tara and Willow and he knows immediately how to get to them. Like, he, he gets it immediately. He just sees Tara, like, running her hands through Willow's hair or something at Giles' house. And he knows exactly what to do. Um... Wicket equals lesbian. That is the, like, weird symbolism that they're making. This episode, there are aspects of it that don't age well as far as, like, the lesbian stuff. Like, I get that they're using, like, Wicca as a metaphor. You know, they say to Willow, maybe it's just a phase, you know? And obviously they're talking about, they're making, you know, symbolism and subtext. I get it. That's what Buffy the show does. That's that's what it's all about but some of it just doesn't age that well like the fact that okay I'm jumping ahead so let me just let me just not jump ahead for once and finish my notes Adam is convincing demons to get captured okay this is something that I never thought about before but in the next episode you know like basically he wants to like balance the scales or something and all of the demons in the initiative which there have been a huge influx of in the last couple of weeks it was mentioned in the last episode and in this one they're talking about like not having enough containments for all the demons that they've been capturing lately whereas Buffy's been saying it's been slow like whatever I never put this together before which is stupid I should have but you know I've seen this show like so many times but Adam was doing that on purpose. He was probably sending the demons to like get captured by the initiative on purpose because he was planning to infiltrate the initiative and set them all free and have there be like gigantic chaos and all that shit that we'll see in the next episode. He was doing that on purpose and I just never made that connection before now. So I just had to share it with you guys in case you had the same not putting it togetherness before. Oh, me, me, me. Angel's here. Angel versus Riley. Oh, God. I just can't even. I just can't even with this. Like, I don't like the way they wrote this. Like, I get the whole, like, petty jealousy thing, but the way that they executed the Angel versus Riley situation did not work for me. And I've been talking too much today, so I'm not going to go further into it, but y'all know what I mean. Y'all know what I mean. Um... Riley's got a gun. That's my next note. Um, oh no, my next note was Angel needs enthusiastic consent. I, I just kind of enjoyed this little moment where like Buffy's never invited Angel into her dorm room before. This is the first time he's ever been there. And he's like, can I come in? And she's like, I guess. <laughs> and he's like, I need a little more than that. <laughs> and she, So I like that. I like that little nod to like the whole vampires need to be invited in thing. Like you need a little bit more than I guess. Boys, more than I guess. Okay? 
All right. Um, Angel needs enthusiastic consent. Riley comes in with a fucking gun. Like, what the fuck? Come on, Riley. Come on. A gun on a vampire. And also, what are you doing, Riley? Like, before you were being cool, you were giving Buffy her space. You were making some jokes about the pants. And you were, you were being chill. But I take it all back now because you're being an ass face. Oh, God. Buffy shuts that shit down. So I wrote down the quote. This is the quote of the episode. I see one more display of testosterone poisoning, and I will personally put you both in the hospital. Anybody think I'm exaggerating? That's what Buffy says to the two of them whenever they start to get into it. <sighs> Which is just a nice moment. It's a nice moment. I had to rewind it so I could watch it a couple of times. Um, Riley says, I'm not leaving this room because she, she tries to like say, I need to talk to Angel for a second. And so then she just like gives one little like look to Angel over her shoulder and he follows her out into the hallway and they have the conversation in the hallway and Buffy just starts laying into him and saying some shit. She's like, what are you trying to do? And blah, blah, blah. And Angel says, I was trying to make it better. And then they both start laughing. And I liked this, actually. This was a good closure moment between the Buffy and Angel relationship. Because the whole thing has just been super overly dramatic. And I like that they kind of juxtaposed that and took it a step back. They were like, okay, yeah, this is the normal drama, drama, drama between Buffy and Angel. And they're yelling at each other. And then they're just going to start laughing because they realize how absurd this whole situation is. And I liked that. That was good closure. I don't like that, like, the motivation behind that is just so Angel can go off and be his own show and they don't have to worry about crossovers and continuity and shit anymore. This was their get-out-of-jail-free continuity card that they were playing with the network. They were like, we're going to have them both cross over to each other's shows at the end of the season and then we're going to be like, nope, cutting that shit off from now on. And I don't, I don't like that, but... If we're not thinking about that and we're just looking at this conversation as like a kind of closure conversation between two people that have had an intense relationship that will always be in each other's lives, it's a good moment. So savor it. <laughs> um, and I wrote, she's allowed to be reasonable on her own show. Like she has a moment, Buffy has a little moment here where she like admits that she was an ass when she was yelling at Angel on his show a few weeks ago. Um, actually, just last week, technically, if I had done the shit in the order that I'm supposed to do it in. Um, this, this whole weird interaction, I don't really understand this, but like he, he was like, and Buffy, Riley, I don't like him. And she says, thank you. What is that? Is that sort of like a, he's giving her, he's throwing her a bone by admitting that He's jealous and so kind of like it. I'm still hurting kind of situation. Like I'm admitting to you that I still feel for you. Like he doesn't need to do that because he just showed how ridiculously jealous he was. I don't know. That, that seemed a little like, I don't really get that, but okay. Um, add it. My next note is Adam is surfing the internet via his skull. He has like, legit an ethernet cable stuck in the side of his head. It's just, we've seen him do this before, but God damn Adam. God damn Adam. 
Like it would have been, I, I just like, I kind of wish for the alternative future now that I know that Lindsay Krause was supposed to stay on and be the big bad of the season as Professor Walsh. Like, that's so sad that we didn't get that because she would have been such a better villain than stupid Adam. Okay, here's a moment of Yoko Ono redemption that I'm so happy is there. I didn't remember, like I was watching the episode a couple days ago, my first watch of it. And I was thinking, shit, this episode is titled The Yoko Factor, which means, you know, they're blaming, you know, that whole, like, people blame Yoko Ono and Courtney Love for breaking up Beatles and Nirvana. And that shit has always fucking bugged me. It's just such a symptom of the stupid patriarchy, right? And Spike starts going into it with Adam. Like, I call it the Yoko Factor. He's like all bragging that he broke up Buffy with her friends and broke up Buffy and her friends. And he's like, call it the Yoko factor. And I'm like, shit, he's going to do that cliche thing where he's going to blame Yoko for everything. But he doesn't. He says, you know, people want to blame Yoko Ono for breaking up the Beatles, but it's just, you grow up, you, you drift apart and she just happened to be there. And I was like, shit. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't remember that. And it made me happy that like, Somebody for once is not blaming Yoko Ono. (laughs) And I always think of Courtney Love too. Um, I'm like eternal defender of Courtney Love. I know that doesn't shock you guys. (laughs) She's very much a faith person, right? (laughs) But yeah, anyway. Okay, so then Riley and Buffy have this conversation. After the closure moment, Angel leaves. And Buffy goes back in to talk to Riley. And Riley thinks that Buffy's about to break up with him. So knowing that, I guess it justifies a little bit of the ridiculousness um, of his behavior, but it's still, I'm going to call it out. It was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> they just have a conversation about it. And I love when Riley says calls. So he's like, oh, I just, when I saw that he went evil again and Buffy's like, he's not evil. And Riley's like, this is him on a good day, which was a good moment. That that was a laugh. Like, yes, this is, this is Angel on a good day. That is absolutely correct. And then he says, on a good day, Mr. Billowy Coat, King of Pain. (laughs) Oh, Angel, Mr. Billowy Coat, King of Pain. I love it. I love it so much. It's, I actually identified with this moment. So Riley's like, he's having this moment of, how do you like me if you like him? And I've totally had those moments of like, you find out like, you know, you, I think humans just automatically put people into archetypes and, you know, sometimes you'll see an ex of the person that you're with and you'll be like, what? That person is so incredibly different from me that like, Sometimes you can have like a little moment of like not realizing the nuances of humanity and life and whatever. And you're, you can be like, if he likes her, how could he possibly like me? Cause I don't see the intersection on the Venn diagram between me and her, you know? <laughs> and I think Riley's having that moment because Riley is like all American granola guy versus Mr. Billowy Coat, King of Pain, right? So like, 
where does this make sense? And I totally get why Riley's having a moment with this. Um, oh God. My next note is she tells him Forrest is dead. Did y'all forget the Forrest is dead? Because I did. And that is so sad. But like, uh, we never get people of color on this show. And when we do, they're massively underserved and that is no exception with right with Forrest. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're going to see Forrest as a freaking zombie in the next episode, which sucks. And I hate it, but it's true. God, Forrest was just like they had an opportunity to like he was obviously very close with Riley. But they didn't give him any characterization beyond, I'm so jealous that you like Buffy. It, the, you know, they gave a little bit of gay subtext there. I don't know if they were trying to, but they did. But, which is fine. But, like, they just made Forrest so one note. Even with Graham, you know, Riley's other BFF. They gave Graham more of a reasonable attitude, even though they didn't give him quite as much screen time as they gave to Forrest. They made Graham, the white guy, best friend of Riley, into a reasonable character. And they made Forrest into a completely unreasonable character. And that's so unfortunate because that actor deserved so much better. I don't understand why they didn't just flip those two personas. Graham could have been the unreasonable one. You know, he could have. And then I don't, and if they had made him more lovable, it would have hurt us more when he died as well. Because like, I had completely forgotten at this point in the episode that, uh, about Forrest, completely forgotten. I was like, what is Buffy going to tell Riley right now? Because she keeps saying, I have something I need to tell you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She can say some other shit about Angel. No, she's going to tell him about Riley, of course, or Forrest. Of course, she's going to tell him about Forrest. Of course she is. This is where my mom is like, you were almost named Forrest. <laughs> and I was watching with her on Thursday. If I was a boy, I was going to be Forrest. Yep, I was going to be Forrest. Um... I mean, it's fine. It's just thinking of myself as a boy. Like, I think if I had been born in a boy's body, I would have really grown to hate the name Forrest because I'm a girl. So I would have been trans. <laughs> I just am. Like, that might sound weird. I hope that doesn't sound disrespectful or anything. But I just, I'm a, even though I don't like necessarily pre present as ultra femme, like, I am very much like my gender identity is girl. It is very girl. There is no question. <laughs> and it's just hard to imagine being a forest. It is. Anyway. And Riley kind of freaks. Like he has to leave. He has to go process. Which, understandable. Totally. Um, then time for everyone to fight. I guess we haven't had the big fight yet. So after this, Buffy goes to see Giles and her and Willow and Xander and Giles just have, Giles is kind of just drunk on the sidelines, but the rest of them just have a gigantic fight where they just air all their grievances from the last year. And yes, Spike started this, but he just brought to surface what was already there. 
And this is kind of a good thing. Like we don't see the four of them just really knock down drag out fight. So even though it's painful to watch, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel shoehorned in really. I don't think it feels real. This feels like an actual dramatic conclusion that needed to happen between the four of them after this year of crazy shit that like they probably didn't mean obviously they didn't mean for the season to be as disjointed as it was but they're working with it at this point they're at the end of the season they're like shit we lost Lindsay Krause we lost Seth Green when we weren't expecting either of those things to happen plus Christine Sutherland who plays Joyce had just like moved to England or something and she was only in a couple of episodes because she lived overseas at this point so there were plus Joss just left and he like obviously cared more about Angel at this point than he did about Buffy so show leadership was changing people were probably having a hard time dealing with the fact that at this point Marty Noxon was probably the head of the series like I think she had was already declared like official what is the name for it? Showrunner. She was like official showrunner at this point, I think. And people were probably having a hard time accepting a woman at the helm, you know? So things were all fucking crazy this season. <laughs> I'm kind of glad, like, I feel like sort of the sense of like elation that at this point, we're going to talk about the last episode of the season, which the last two episodes of the season, really. But, like, we're going to close out the storyline of season four next week, and then we get to talk about Restless, which is my favorite episode of all time. You guys, I might have to talk about Restless in two parts. I'm not kidding. Like, the notes that I'm going to take for Restless, I'm going to have to watch that episode. Normally, I watch the episodes twice. Once with my mom, and the second time taking notes by myself with my headphones on. But with Restless, I'm probably going to have to like do a whole fucking dissertation. I might have to talk about it two weeks in a row. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. You guys. Okay. This is going to sound stupid and overly sentimental. And I don't hear from you guys that often, which is fine, which is totally fine because I don't really have a social media presence. I'm not on Facebook and I am on Instagram, Mixtress Ray. If you want to follow me, I mostly post tarot shit, but you know, I don't hear from you guys that often, but I know that there are people listening and I just like, it's weird. It's weird. Like if you've never done this type of situation where it feels one-sided because literally I'm sitting inside of a closet in my house talking into a tape recorder. I mean, not a tape recorder, but a digital recorder that I'm holding in my hands. But it feels like I'm hanging out with people. It's so weird. It's like knowing that you guys are going to get to hear me and that you might respond and that you at least care enough to listen to this bullshit is just like, it gives me life. And like, I'm just sitting in a closet in my house with five candles burning and a lava lamp and I just I feel like I'm actually having a social experience right now I guess that's just quarantines quarantines delusion is like even just recording my voice 
in a closet <laughs> because I know that people will eventually hear it. Makes me feel close to them. So I love you guys. I truly do. I truly do. And it's not just because I've had... It's possible that the beer is affecting me <laughs> a little bit more than normal because of my hormones and the fact that I didn't have a lot of sleep last night and that I dreamed about Tom Cruise. And dreaming about Tom Cruise means that, like, even if you got six hours of sleep, Tom Cruise make, takes it down to, like, four. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, um, I just, I really, if you guys didn't listen to this, I couldn't do it. I wouldn't be able to justify this bullshit if people weren't listening. And, like, I'm gonna cry, but it's incredibly meaningful. Like, if you guys haven't done this sort of shit before, like, if you haven't made a podcast or a zine or, like, that kind of stuff, you may not realize how much you give to people just by being present. Like, those of us that do this shit, we're fucking nuts. We're not okay. And I don't mean that in like a dramatic sense of like, I'm not okay. But we're not normal. And the fact that somebody is present, even if they don't say anything, but they're just present for what you're going through, it means so much. And even in this this day and age... When you can put a podcast on the internet, and even if no one tells you how they feel about what they're listening to, if you know that someone has listened, it's so validating. It is so validating because I just sit in my closet and I just like say the things that are, I just speak the neural pathways that are happening inside my brain. I just say them out loud and somebody's listening to that? Like what? That's crazy. It is absolutely crazy, but I can't, I can't describe how wonderful it is to know that you right now, whoever you are, like whatever you're doing, are you listening to headphones while you clean your house? Are you listening to headphones while you clean someone else's house? That's, I mean, I listen to, most of the time I listen to podcasts while I'm cleaning. So that's my personal identification. But are you listening while you're like sitting on your couch going, God, I'm so sick of being in my house. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, like, don't feel like you're less than if what you're doing is listening to a podcast. Because I really think that like, I mean, a lot of people are coping with this quarantine situation by creating art, which is absolutely wonderful. I'm so glad those people exist. But for me, I'm coping with it by watching a lot of RuPaul, <laughs> edging my tarot decks, doing a lot of really frantic tarot readings, and talking to you guys about Buffy. Like, you guys just being present for my weird ramblings about Buffy is keeping me alive right now. And thank you. Thank you so much. You guys are incredibly, what is that phrase from the Monstrumologist book? Oh, that guy, he says to his like student kid throughout that entire series, 
I think he just says something to the effect of you are indispensable to me. You are indispensable. You are. You are. Even if even if the only thing that you're doing with your day right now, if you're stuck in your house and you can't leave and like the only thing you're doing is getting up, binge watching TV, listening to podcasts, taking a bath every once in a while. I don't, you guys, full disclosure, I do not remember the last time I bathed. I'm going to do it tomorrow because I'm going to see my family tomorrow for Mother's Day. <laughs> so I'm going to make sure I'm not stinky when I'm around my family. But I don't, I literally don't remember. It's possible it was last Sunday. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you for listening to me go slightly mad. What was that? Let's get back into Buffy. Okay. Where are we? Okay. So everybody's fighting at Giles's house. There's, I think it's kind of cool how, like, if you're paying attention while they're all fighting, Anya and Tara just sort of slip away one by one and they go down the hall. I guess the only thing that's down that little hallway past Giles's kitchen is a bathroom. He has a really small place. I love his place so much though. Oh my God. I love his place. But I think it's really cool and subtle how they did that. Like if you're paying attention, you actually can see them both at separate times during the argument leave, just kind of slip away in the background and go down the hall. And then later you see that Tara and Anya are in the bathroom and they're kind of like, how long do you think this is going to go on? And you can hear everybody fighting from outside. And Anya's like, hard to say. Um, so I really like the way that I am. I just want to hear what they talked about while they were in the bathroom together. <laughs> Anya and Tara bonding in the bathroom. Like, you know, it was awkward at first, but then they probably started actually getting into it and talking about serious shit because Anya doesn't hold back. And Tara is like super knowledgeable about the world and she's very emotionally evolved. And her and Anya could have had the best conversation in that bathroom, right? Okay. So just a little side note, I really liked the sort of like physical comedy of, I mean, it wasn't super physical, but just like, I liked the subtlety of the fact that like they chose to make Giles drunk during this whole thing. So Xander, Willow, and Buffy are fighting. They're fighting, fighting, fighting. It's mostly Xander and Buffy and Willow just kind of like being timid, which is totally in character. I liked the fact that Giles is sort of like, the funny drunk in the background. He's kind of leaning against the wall and then he just sort of takes his sweater off and goes up to bed. I like that. Um, because, you know, he's quite a bit older than they are. You know, at this point, he's probably in his like mid forties and they're like 20, you know, um, maybe even like just only 19 at this point is possible. So I like that they chose to not have him jump in and be as petty as the rest of them are. I mean, he's just drunk, so he's ridiculous, but he doesn't, he's not an angry drunk. I like the way that they handled the situation. It is totally within character that Xander and Buffy would be doing most of the yelling at each other. Willow would be putting in a little bit of her own insecurities, but not really She's not hurling insults and shit because that's not Willow, you know? Um, but she's 
bringing up her own insecurities every once in a while. And at one point, like Xander literally just stands next to, to Willow, like he's protecting her almost in a way. That's all. This entire fight is completely within character and it needed to happen. And I just, I thought it was hilarious whenever like Giles is like, yes, I am quite drunk actually. And he starts going up to bed <laughs> and he has like this loft style bed. So his bed is just like at the top of a platform over like a balcony type situation. Um, so he's going up the stairs to bed, just stumbling up the stairs and he is taking his shirt off as he's going up the stairs and Xander and Buffy are yelling at each other. And then you see the shirt come down <laughs> because Giles has thrown it over the side of the stairs and it hits Xander in the face. And I just love that moment. It's, it's so perfect. This is actually a really good episode. Okay. I'm getting all like sentimental. I'm loving everything at this point. So woo, that's what I get for drinking a beer. Okay. So where the fuck are we? Okay. Here's where Buffy, like at the beginning of this argument, she's like, where is this all coming from? And she's a little bit reserved and understanding at first. Then she starts like yelling back a little bit. And then she says this. If I was any more open-minded about the choices you two make, my whole brain would fall out. Really, bitch? Really? Really, bitch? Really? 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 You remember that SNL skit? Really? 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 That was... My next note is just Buffy's meanie pants. And then she kind of goes off on this thing where she does her whole Buffy superiority complex thing where she's like, I'm starting to understand why there isn't an ancient prophecy about a, a chosen one and her friends. And she storms out. You know, this might be kind of quarantine, quarantines related <laughs> thought process, but just the idea that, you know, I'm thinking of this from Giles's point of view. <laughs> because I'm closer to his age than I am to Buffy's at this point. Is that true? Yes, that is totally true because he's probably like 45 or something at this point and I'm 37 right now. So like, I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm thinking from his point of view, like, yes, he's having a big knockdown drag out fight or he's kind of adjacent to a knockdown drag out fight and he's having an identity crisis and all this shit, but he's got, Okay, Tara, Anya, Xander, Willow, Buffy. He's got five people in his house that, yes, they're incredibly a lot younger than him, except Anya, who's like a thousand years old. They're younger than him, and that's kind of weird if you think about that too hard. But even though he's he's not a watcher, he's not a librarian anymore, like, I, I you know, he's in his own level of quarantines, right? And he's been drinking a little too much, but his tiny little house, everyone came there to fight. That's not insignificant. You know, like when you're really having a gigantic falling out with people, it's worse when everybody just kind of stops talking and no one actually airs their shit. I would much rather people be like passionately fighting with each other 
while I go upstairs to bed. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, it's weird because I'm like jealous of Giles because he's going up to bed, passing out drunk while people are care enough about each other to fight, but care enough about him to do it in his house. You know, like maybe that's the wrong reaction, but I think quarantine times has made me crazy, guys. I was ranting to my mom today about computers. Happy Mother's Day, mom. I love you so much. Seriously. I know you won't hear this until like Tuesday or something, but I love you, mom. Seriously. I went over to her house and I was ranting about computer shit. And we haven't hugged since, you know, all this shit started. You know, we've been like doing the social distancing thing. Like I'll still hang out with her, but like we're very careful. Like we're, we're following the rules. But like I was ranting about computers and she hugged me and it was like, oh, I'm getting a hug from somebody <laughs> that isn't, isn't my partner in my own home or my dog. I've been hugging my dogs a lot, guys. But it was nice. It was good to have a hug. I didn't let myself totally feel it in the moment because I thought this is wrong. I shouldn't be hugging someone. And I think I was kind of stiff, but I wish I had like let myself get into it. Maybe I'll hug her tomorrow because I mean, we've already, we've already passed germs between us today when we hugged. So on Mother's Day, watch out. I'm going to hug you, mom. <laughs> you guys, I'm going a little crazy. Okay. Where are we here? So Buffy, I just want to repeat again what she fucking said because it was ridiculous. If I was any more open-minded about the choices you two make, my brain would fall out. So this is kind of, this is part of the moment that I think doesn't age well as far as like Willow and the fact that she has kind of come out to them as being a lesbian at this point. Um, she's come out to them in the fact that she is dating Tara and that will later be evident. She will later, you know, call herself, identify herself as gay. She hasn't quite done that yet, but this part doesn't age well because Buffy's saying that like, I realize she's angry, but like, what does she really have to judge them about? She shouldn't be judging Willow for for dating Tara. And what is there to judge Xander about? He's like 19 years old. So what? He didn't go to college and he's been like trying on all these different jobs all year. Like, I just don't like this. Like, I understand that we're supposed to see them all fighting and all of that shit. But her saying that is too far for me. This is the Buffy and maybe we've seen this in this entire time and it just didn't seem, it didn't, when she was on Angel and she seemed like a total fucking bitch, it didn't seem like the normal Buffy. It seemed like a weird characterization, but now like seeing her have this moment, she's such a bitch. Like is Buffy always a bitch and I just didn't notice? I'm going to be paying more attention to that from now on. Like, I realized, like, I always flash back, slash forward, to that moment in season seven, Conversations with Dead People, the episode Conversations with Dead People, when Buffy is like, she sees that kid that she was in psychology classes with that is now a vampire and she has to 
She has to kill him, but she keeps like talking to him throughout the night. I love that episode, by the way. Um, and at one point she's talking to him, like he was training to be like a counselor, I think. And she's talking to him about like, she has an inferiority complex, but she has a superiority complex around it. Which is like kind of nonsensical, really, psychologically speaking. But I always flash back to that. I flash back to that like constantly when I'm watching Buffy just be an asshole because she really does have a superiority complex, whatever that means. She really has it. She really thinks that she's better than other people. And I liked sort of Xander calling that out. Like at one point he says, just because you're better than us doesn't mean you can be all superior about it. <laughs> and I really, really liked that. There's so many really great closure moments in this episode. And we're going to get even more in the next episode because there's, I keep thinking about that scene that we're going to see in the next episode when Xander, Buffy, and Willow are like, they're on like ropes or something. They're like repelling or something. I don't know. They're infiltrating the initiative. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. But they must be infiltrating the initiative in some way. But they're on ropes and they hug Xander and like Willow and Buffy are talking the whole time and they're like sorting out all their shit. And this fight has to happen for that moment to happen. So I'm happy about it. Like all the closure that happens in this episode, the closure between Angel and Buffy, the closure between Angel and or Buffy and Riley, between Everybody, like all of this shit needs to come to the surface so that, they, so that they can sort it out. Oh my God, maybe I shouldn't have just had popcorn for dinner. That's my problem. I'm drinking a beer and I've only had popcorn for dinner. <laughs> okay, I'm down to my very last sentence of the whole episode's notes. Riley shows up at Adam. So this is the to be continued moment, like... Earlier in the episode when Adam and Spike were talking the last time before all this fight bullshit at Giles's house, Adam says, you know, like Spike's like, okay, I did my part. When are you going to give me the chipectomy? Which I don't think I even discussed that, but that was the whole thing in between Adam and Spike was that Spike was doing all this shit for Adam. He's allying himself with Adam. Is that a word? Allying? Allying? whatever. He's hanging out with Adam because Adam promised him he would take the chip out of his head, which I don't know if Adam even knows how to do that, but he's telling Spike that and Spike will believe it because Spike, he's kind of like, even though he's a vampire and he's super manipulative and he's evil and all that shit, he's kind of a positive person. <laughs> that sounds weird, but like when someone tells him something that he wants to hear, he will just believe it. Like, even though he's super manipulative himself, he's not super great at understanding when other people are manipulating him. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, sure. You're going to take this chip out of my head. I'm, I'm there for it. Let's do it. Come on. <laughs> oh, Spike. Spike is so innocent, but not, you know, I love that. Like at this point, I think I said this to my mom, like, this is it. This is the moment. Yoko Factor is the moment where, like, Spike is in it. He's in it forever now. Like, we're not going to get, like, tiny little scenes with Spike anymore in an episode. He's just going to be there. He's going to be a part of the group from now on. 
And maybe I'm wrong about that. We'll see going forward. But I think he is at this point. This whole, this entire season is identity crises. Like, how do we deal with super sh big shifts in our identity? And for Spike, he has reached a stage in his evolution where he's not a man, not yet a vampire. Not a man, not yet a vampire. Or not a vampire, not yet a man. That makes more sense in Spike's case. But he has reached a level of acceptance in the fact that he is a part of this group now and we're gonna see that develop and I'm excited for it like there are some super problematic things that we have to talk about with Spike's character and those y'all that know the trajectory of Buffy are I'm so sorry probably thinking of certain scenes that happened in Buffy's bathroom in season six but I'm not just talking about that the entirety of the relationship between Spike and Buffy in season six is a huge mess and there's some real psychological bullshit that we're gonna have to deal with I'm kind of relieved like this season has been all over the place but it's been fun to talk about with you guys and next season is there's gonna be some sadness with Joyce but Glory, oh my god, Glory's the best. And then Buffy's gonna die, but the real darkness, the moment where I'm gonna need to have a therapist in place before we start talking about it, that's season six. So we're kind of in a home stretch right now. We're gonna talk about the next two episodes, the last of season four are gonna be easy to talk about. And season five on the whole is going to be a beautiful journey. I mean, I remember it as being a really well-crafted season. We'll see. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I remember it as being a really well-crafted season and I love Glory so much and it's going to be a fun ride, but season six, y'all, when we get there, I mean, that's two years away. So why am I thinking so hard about it right at this moment? There's a lot of emotional shit. There's some shadow work I'm going to have to deal with when we get to that point. Anyway, so where are we? That's it. That's the end of my notes. So Riley shows up at Adam's house. So we're going to find out that Riley has a chip as well that Adam can control. And we'll deal with that next week. Ugh, beer makes me burpy. I keep having to pause this so I can burp. Okay, so um, I'll be back next week to talk about Primeval. Oh shit, we didn't talk about the angel episode. <laughs> oh my god, okay. Sorry guys, I got out of the habit of talking about angels since we talked about angels separately last time. Okay. Okay, I'm pulling out my episode guide. Turn to your, to your angel episode guide, Once Bitten, textbook, to page 144. Okay, what is the synopsis? While Angel Investigations is doing a job for dot-com billionaire David Nabbit, the team encounters a vampire-slaying gang led by Charles Gunn. Oh yeah, okay. So this is, this is the introduction to Gunn. Um, this episode of Angel... Oh, shit. On the surface... There doesn't seem to be anything wrong with it if you're describing the trajectory of, like, you meet Gunn 
and he is kind of like downtown LA, underground LA. He is hiding with his family and friends. They're in like slums environment. Like you can assume that like, you know, runaways, drugs, like all kinds of situations going on with these poor babies that are living in like an abandoned warehouse or something. But they're vampire fighters and you know, they're scrappy. They're doing their shit. <sighs> I don't know enough, but I think that this... So the same night, essentially the same night that the only black character on Buffy gets killed off, we get introduced to Gunn, the only black character that will ever be on a recurring role in Angel. So it is no secret that Joss Whedon is problematic in more ways than one. But the first way that we discovered that he was problematic is that he does not really hire people of color in, in the Buffy verse. He does not. And I really think that him introducing Gunn's character was his attempt to be like, see, look, I can have a person of color because this criticism was already being thrown at him even in the year 2000. So the same day that we lose Forrest on Buffy, we gain Gunn on Angel. And he's not going to be a fully formed, like, every episode character until a little further on in the series of Angel. But this is his introduction. And I just, it feels a little tone deaf to me and... I don't necessarily know what I'm talking about either because I'm just a white chick, but it seems a little tone deaf to me. It's just like, look at this kid from the slums, you know? Um, I mean, it's not too over the top for the year 2000, but it's a little over the top. It's a little, I don't know. And I don't feel like I'm qualified to really say anything about it. But this is the introduction to Gunn's character this episode. And to be quite honest, the episode itself, I really had several moments of thinking, is this episode like extra long or something? Like, why isn't it over yet? And there were, there were some good moments between Angel and Gunn because like Angel really has to do extra to earn Gunn's trust. And that makes complete sense because he's a vampire. And of course they're doing a whole metaphor thing. Like they're from two different worlds. Gunn is human. Angel is vampire, but really it's just like Angel is white. Gunn is black. You know, they're doing that whole metaphor thing. But I don't think that the people involved in Angel, not only Joss Whedon, but also David Greenwald and all the other Davids or whatever, are necessarily qualified to tell a story about race. Like, this was their decision to make this... They were like, okay, yes, we'll have a black character. Here we go. We're going to talk about race. They should have just had a black character that they fully characterized like any other character, you know, like they're not qualified to make, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Let me go. Let me know what you guys think. 
I didn't like this episode. Um, oh, I didn't do ratings for Buffy. Oh my God, you guys. I feel like I'm just as drunk as Giles right now. Okay. Um, object of the episode, like I said earlier, is Riley's pants because I genuinely don't think they're bad. You pair that with a nice skin tight spandex shirt. Riley would have been looking good. He could have done some dance moves. You know what I'm saying? Oh my God. Do any of you guys watch RuPaul's Drag Race? Because the episode that just aired where Crystal Method, by the way, if y'all do watch RuPaul, the current season, Crystal Method is actually a queen that lives and performs an hour from where I live. And I live in Southwest Missouri. <laughs> So it's really, I've never actually seen her in person. I don't think it's possible. I have actually, but it's been a long time if I have seen her in person, but she is just the sweetest thing in the world. And she won the challenge on the last episode of RuPaul. Um, anyway, let me know if you guys are into RuPaul. <laughs> okay. Let's just watch that before I recorded this. Okay, quote of the episode. I said that earlier. I'm not going to go back to it. Outfit of the episode. I'm going to go with Riley's outfit because the shirt matched the pants. He had the hammer pants. <laughs> it reminded me of Crystal Method because she has, um, in her in her boy form, she has a mullet that is just the most beautiful and spectacular mullet that has ever existed in the history of the universe. She is just the sweetest drag character She's just the sweetest human, like, ever. And she performs and lives an hour away from me. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. MVP of the episode. You know what? Let's give it to Spike. Because even though he was trying to be evil, he actually brought a lot of shit to the surface that people needed to deal with. And ultimately, he actually did a good thing in this episode. And he did it so masterfully. You know, I really think that there's a certain level of Spike's psyche, even at this point, that he already kind of wants to sabotage his evil self. Like he has the potential, even before he ever got a soul, he has the potential to be good. He does, even though, oh, okay, let's not get into it, but... <clears throat> burping. I'm so sorry. I've never like burped this much on a podcast. I'm so sorry, you guys. I've just now finished my beer. Okay. Five by five ratings. Um, uh, treatment of women in this episode. It was fine. I guess. Does this episode pass the Bechdel test? That's a good question. I don't know if it does. The only thing I can think of is Tara and Willow. Tara's like backing Willow up in that conversation with Spike, where Tara's like, Willow's totally a whiz. So I guess it kind of passes, but they're talking to a man. I don't know if this episode passes the Bechdel test. I don't think it does because we don't have a single conversation between Buffy and Willow. Well, no. Okay. I'm wrong. 
Anya and Tara are talking to each other in the bathroom. And even though all they say is like, how long do you think this is going to go on? Who can say? Ooh, I like the tile. Pretty bathroom, you know. So that is the only moment that it passes, honestly. Okay. So it does pass. Um, other than that, let's give it a three. Okay. I need a pen. I need a pen so I can actually write this down. <laughs> what did I do with my pen? Okay. Um, enjoyment of the episode. I would say this is a good episode. It's not the best but it's essential to the movement forward of the plot. Yeah, we'll give it a three. So this episode three by three gets a nine. Yes, I can still do math, even though I feel like I'm as drunk as Giles and it's time for me to peel off my sweater and throw it on Xander's face. Okay. Thank you guys for listening to my shit tonight. I know this was super, super long and ridiculous and like all over the place. If you made it this far, I am so grateful for your existence in this universe and you're the best and I love you and I will see you next week where I promise to be a little bit less crazy actually I can't promise that but I hope to be a little less crazy um thank you guys so much bye 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 b